body does. Um, the first week, we were talking about the blood, right? Uh, last week, for those of you who actually were here, we mentioned that the blood symbolizes life, right? We were talking about how we all have the blood of Jesus poured out once and for all. We talked about the original sacrifices. Um, we all know that the original sacrifices did not cover sin the way that sin needed to be covered. We talked about how the blood cleanses us, not outwardly, but inwardly. Uh, like our human body, his blood gives us life. Like our human body, his blood heals us. Uh, last week we spoke about white blood cells, red blood cells, and platelets, and, and guys, how all of these things together heals the body. Uh, we talked about how the, the white blood cells fight off infection, and then we tied that to the gospel. And we talked about how it's only through the blood of Jesus that brings us true healing mentally, physically, and emotionally. Uh, this week, I want to talk about something a little bit different. Um, the first part of the lesson I really wanted to teach about last week. Um, but this week, I want to talk about the head. So as I pull forth uh, the information, I want everyone to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. Verses 13 through 16. We're going to read this every single week because I really want it to be something that locks into our memory. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. When you get there, say amen. All right. Psalm 139, read it with me. 13 through 16, the word of God speaks. For thou hast possessed my reins. And thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to delve into your word. God, to learn from what you said. God, to learn from what your word has already spoken before time. God, I pray that, Lord, you would hide me behind your cross this morning, Lord, as we delve into this, Lord. Learn about your body. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive. And all God's people said, amen. So. This morning, I want to talk about the head. Now, when we think about the head, there's so much, guys, that we could teach on. Um, there's so much that we could preach on. We've heard a million different messages on the head, um, the spiritual head of the church, God being the head. We, we can tie this any which way, all right? Um, but what I really feel the Lord is wanting us to think about is our thinking, right? Think about what we're thinking about. Uh, a couple months ago, we talked about a word that I've been using uh, a couple times called a psycho somatic, right? Somebody who has a bodily infirmity that is wrought upon by how we think. Our lifestyles that we live are, are heavily based on our thoughts and what we think on a day-to-day -day basis. So I want to talk this morning a little bit more about um, what we're thinking about, um, how the enemy plays with our thoughts, how we as believers are sometimes making it a lot harder on ourselves. Really, we are. Um, because of the way that we think. You ever heard the phrase stinking thinking? Yeah, I get that a lot. All right, we all do. Um, I'm not going to really focus too much on 
you know, Christ as the headship or anything like that this morning. Um, but walk with me this morning as we, we really delve into the study about the mind, the brain, and our thought processes. Amen? So the head is a very interesting part of the human body. You see, you and I can live without an arm. We can live without a leg. We can live without a nose. We can live without an ear. But it's funny, one of the main body parts we cannot thrive without is our head. Amen? Once the head is severed, scarcely would a man survive. Without the brain, the body wouldn't know what to do. God gave us something called the cerebrum. You heard that word before? He gave us three big parts of the brain, right? The cerebrum takes up most of the brain here. And the cerebrum is the part that's uh, mainly, uh, it, it has the left and right hemispheres, and it performs functions such as touch, vision, hearing, reasoning, emotions, learning, and controls of moments. So this is the, the part of the brain that we often teach about, the part of the brain that we often hear about. The part below it is the cerebellum, okay? That part is more of the cognitive part of the brain. Without the cerebellum, we wouldn't understand how to move, amen? I'm moving my hands because of that part of the brain. And the biggest part there is the, um, the spinal cord. The spinal cord is the part of the brain that is responsible for most of the autonomous parts of the body. So what am I talking about, okay? God has given us a brain that was utilized to give him glory through this body. And every single thing that we do with our body is controlled by our what? By our brain. Amen? You believe that? The brain is what controls our body. Okay? I want everybody to hold up their, their left hand. Okay? Touch the right side of their head. All right? The left side of the head controls the right side of the body. And vice versa, the right side of the body, brain, controls the left side of the body. So I want to tie this into a spiritual aspect in just a moment. Just bear with me while I'm teaching this, okay? We as Christians, we are thinkers. We are visionaries, amen? We pray, we reason, we orate the word of God. But when the brain is not right, church, everything that flows out of the mind does not work. Everything that we speak will have no power to it. If I'm living as a Christian, but I'm battling depression, I'm not going to be an effective minister of the gospel of Christ. If I'm a minister of the gospel, and I'm dealing with secret addictions and afflictions in my life, what comes out of my mouth will be a lie. Does that make sense to me this morning? Amen. So if, if the physical brain, the brain that we have that controls our entire body, how much more important is it for us to have our minds renewed by the Spirit, okay? When our mind is renewed by the Spirit, everything that flows out of our body is right. What does the Word of God say about uh, the eye being full of light? He says, when your eyes are full of light, then the whole body is full of light. What's he talking about? He's talking about the head, okay? He's saying when that your head is thinking right. When our head is full of thoughts of Christ, then what flows out of us will be correct, okay? I got an exercise for you this morning, all right? I want you for the next minute to think about whatever you want to think about, okay? You can think about, you can think about a beach, you can think about a sandwich, 
You can think about a juicy red apple. But make sure you think about whatever you want to think about, okay? How many of you guys thought about a beach? Or a sandwich? Or an apple? And said, whatever you do, don't think about polar bears. What's the first thing that comes to mind? It's a polar bear, okay? Thoughts are extremely hard to control. The moment that we bless you, the moment that we hear a word, we tie it to our minds. Why? Because our brain is trained to tying words to images. Okay? Number one, our brains are incredibly hard to control, which is why we have to have them in subjection to the spirit. So we're going to get into this lesson here real quick this morning, but I want to set a bit of a platform. Um, the mind controls our speech. That's the first thing I'm going to talk about. Um, the mind controls our actions. And finally, how our mind controls our vision. Okay? We're going to get into those three this morning. But I want to talk about thoughts. And here's a question for the classroom this morning. What is a thought? Derek. Yeah. Something you think about. Jesse, what, what, what do you believe a, uh, a thought is? Something that comes to your mind. Yeah. Not judging any answers here. What, what, is, what is a thought? Um, I reasoned this over the weekend, and I turned to the dictionary, and the dictionary says a thought is, let me get this right here, it says a thought is an opinion or an idea produced by thinking or occurring suddenly in the mind. Scientists are struggling to measure thought. Here's another question for us this morning. What's faster, thought or light? Thought or light? Okay, I'm setting the platform here this morning because our thoughts control everything we do, church. Every single thing we do from, from emotions. Uh, we talked about those, um, anger, uh, mindsets that, that are negative, mindsets of sin. Where, where does lust come from, right? Thoughts. How fast is a thought? Get this, scientists are struggling measuring the speed of which a thought has between the brain, okay, the left hemisphere, thought, between the brain and our bodies, okay? God has given you and I a mind to give him glory and glory alone. How much more powerful will we, we excuse me, we be as ministers when our minds are right. So, I want uh, all of us to turn to the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I could really use a mic stand if I can borrow one, Pastor, because I hate holding on to one of these. Can I, uh, can I borrow a mic stand? Yeah, I think so. Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter uh, 12, and verse... Oh, it won't. Okay. If that's... Uh, don't worry about it. That's fine. That's okay. We've all read Romans, chapter 12, and verse 2 many times. 
many, many times. We can all recite it by heart. Some of us can recite it in our sleep. We've had it preached to us. We've had it taught to us over and over and over and over again. But when it comes to the mind, church, I've got to turn in the scripture because Paul is saying something that is very significant to us as believers, right? He says it. He says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, um, Jesse, go ahead and read that for us. Amen. So, so there's, there's a couple commands in this scripture that we, we hear, right? He says, number one, don't be conformed to this world. What, is, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to not be conformed to something? Not be conformed to our society, not be conformed to a church body, not be conformed to a pattern of life. What, is, what does that mean? Okay, amen. Don't look like it. Uh, be a deviant, right? Separate yourself is what Paul is saying. He says, number one, do not be conformed to the world. Okay, we're going to break this down here. What is the world, church? What, what is the world? Sin. Absolutely. It's, it's sin. It's anything that is apart from God. God dwells outside of time, outside of this world, okay? He says, number one, don't be conformed to sin. Don't look like sin. Don't talk like sin. Don't think like sin. But then he gives the remedy, right? He says, be ye transformed, okay? For those of you who know what that word means, trans means to be taken from one place to another. We all know what the word form means. He says, be taken from one form into a different form. And then he tells us how, right? How do we become transformed as believers, as Christians? He says it right there in the scripture. He says, by the renewing of our minds, okay? He says, transform your mind to become a new man. If we as believers are going to be effective, we're going to change our thoughts. Amen? I know as a young Christian, I, uh, I did a lot of things out of carnality to try to grow closer to God. Um, I did a lot of works to try to grow closer to God. But the only thing he really needs us to do is change our way of thinking. Allow him to change our way of thinking. So, number one, Romans 12 and 2, he says, change your way of thinking. Stop conforming to this world. Um, Paul then tells us that we have to have our mind renewed, but it has to start in our minds. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Uh, Pastor, could you turn there for us? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. So, so while he's turning there, the second thing that we hear in the scriptures, um, we hear a lot about taking thoughts captive, right? How many of us have heard about that? You see, the Apostle Paul teaches about how he was taking thoughts captive at Corinth. Uh, go ahead and read for us, Pastor. Amen. Absolutely. Taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So Paul was in a place in his ministry at the church of Corinth where the people were really struggling with, with impure thoughts. Okay? There were eloquent arguments, sophisticated religious bondages and falsehoods that were set up against Paul, which he denounced in Jesus' name. This verse is talking about the mindsets 
that are against truth, okay? How many of us know or work with people who are against truth? They'll influence you with doctrines. They'll influence us with different stories or, or things of the scripture that are the furthest from truth. What Paul is saying, not only in our minds, but in the world, he says, cast down these imaginations. Take into captivity those things that are contrary to the gospel. So let me ask you, as a church, how do we subdue those kinds of thoughts? Open forum. How do we do that? How do we take into captivity? Because we preach it, y'all. We, we preach it all the time. We've got to take this into captivity. We've got to cast down this imagination. We've got to regulate our minds. How do we do this as believers? Amen, I like that. Thoughts are provoked. Amen? I like what the scripture says. It talks about how a man cannot be, um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I cannot be tempted with something that I have never yet dwelled upon intently. I'm not addicted to cigarettes or I don't struggle with nicotine, right? Because I have not yet smoked a cigarette. Therefore, I have not yet dwelled upon the thought, amen? We're going to get into that later on about how um, the mind is changed physically. Really, it is. It is physically changed by the thoughts that you and I dwell upon. He says, take it captive. Take it captive. When you find yourself thinking about something you know you shouldn't be thinking about or something you should, no, I'll, I'll leave that alone, um, shouldn't be thinking about, he says, take it captive. Stay away from things that are provoked. Um, I'm going to utilize, I'm going to utilize, I'm going to get ahead of myself. I can't do that. I can't do that. Uh, we have to subdue mental stages of negativity, mental states of negativity, because our thoughts affect our spiritual walk. How many of you guys know that, that saint who's been in church for about 60 years? They confess God with their lips, but with their lifestyle, they deny him. You don't want to ask them how they're doing because the only thing they want to talk about is all the bad stuff, all the negative things about, you know, their life and, oh, the devil's been on my back and, you know, my husband's been doing all kinds of crazy things and my wife's been making me sleep on the couch and, you know, all kinds of crazy negative things. And I'm not, you know, pointing fingers at just church people because the worldly people do that stuff too, but we should be the catalyst, right? We should be the ones who have our mindsets not seared by sin in the world. We should be the ones who change the world's way of thinking. Number one, change your minds. Number two, we have to take these thoughts captive. We must subdue what is not true. Your mind gives power to what you dwell on. If a man continuously thinks upon a specific thought, that thought will inevitably become a reality. Okay. Who in here likes food? I love food. Okay, I can go on and on about food. Okay, if I'm in the middle of a fast, 
And I'm sitting and I'm thinking about all the things that I want to eat at that moment. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm probably going to eat. My body is going to respond to that. I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to go to the fridge. When we start dwelling on these thoughts, church, then we begin to act out those thoughts. These sins that we, we battle in this world begin in our minds. They begin in our minds. Nobody wakes up. Josh uh, preached about it on Wednesday. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I want to be a felon. I think we're going to go outside and, and kill a couple people. Nobody wakes up and thinks that. Uh, he used David as an example. How do we know that, that David, um, or how can we see the process that uh, caused David to go into sin? It was with his eyes. He looked, he lusted, and then he acted out upon it. The lust led to murder, and the murder led to guilt. It all begins in the mind. Uh, what does the book of uh, Matthew say, chapter, um, I believe it's 5, and I think it's verse uh, 28, is it? It talks about if a man look upon a woman in lust, what has he already done? What is that? He committed sin. He's committed adultery. Wait, wait, hold on. The, the world teaches us that adultery is physically going out into the world and having an affair with somebody else. No, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that if you lust with your eyes, you have already committed the sin. It already begins in our thoughts. We've got to regulate our thoughts. Amen? Um, Sister Andy, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. So number one, uh, Romans 12 and 2. We've got to have our minds transformed, church. Paul is urging us. He says, our minds control our bodies. Therefore, they have to be transformed. But number two, we've got to take these thoughts captive, church. Whenever negative thoughts come in, we've got to subdue them as Christians. We have the upper hand. Why? Because it's not our own flesh. It's the spirit of God that allows us to be able to take those thoughts into captivity. Um, but number three, uh, Sister Andy, Philippians 4 and 8. Amen. Amen. Love the verse. Everybody hear that loud and clear? So, so what the Apostle Paul is doing, and, he, and he's preaching to the, or writing to the Philippians. Okay, he is telling them in the final exhortation of the letter, he's saying whatever things, and I'm going to botch it, whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, whatever things are just, whatever things are of, of good report, he says, think on these things. Think on these things that are beneficial to you. He says, dwell on things that are holy. He says, have a holy mindset, not a carnal mindset. He says, dwell on these things. Think about them all day long. How many of y'all know that it's very difficult to go through an entire day and think about things that are holy 100%? It's hard for me. Okay, I work in the world. Many of us have very secular jobs, and it's very difficult for us to have a holy mindset all day long. But what Paul is saying, he says, think on these things, church. This is the only way that you're going to be able to live out your Christian walk. Why? Because this brain that God has designed for us controls the entire body. And if our brain, our mindset is not right, it's going to control our entire body. 
anger gets planted in the mind. How many of y'all know that anger has different phases? There's, there's indignation, there's anger, there's irritation, there's wrath. Not in any specific order here, wrath being the highest, irritation being the lowest. But if you dwell on irritation, what do you end up doing? Getting angry. And then we speak on that irritation. And we get angrier and angrier until we explode. Whatever we dwell on grows, Pastor.
very good, and I like what uh, I like what Pastor said about um, there are some people. Really, there are some people who think your thoughts are just running absolutely rampant, and there is no way that you can control them. Yes, I do believe that some people might have a little bit more of a tougher time, but it's all about what you put in. And I, I got to plug it again. We as Christians, we have to be the catalyst. We have to be the 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 game changer, so to speak, to use a different word, when it comes to thought regulation. Amen. And and you mentioned something here. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump around and just not worry about the notes and, and teach because uh, Pastor mentioned something that's so key. Y'all know what a train of thought is, right? Train of thought. Um, no, it's not. I'm not talking about cabooses and locomotives. It's when one thought hinges on another thought, hinges on another thought. It's kind of like searching through YouTube. You're listening to Carrie Job one minute, and then if you keep clicking on the reference videos, you're watching Sesame Street an hour later, and you're thinking, "How on earth did I get here?" <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so that's kind of how our train of thought works um, in a very tangible uh, way. Using a, an app or a website, um, we'll think about one thing, and then later on, you know, we're, we're all the way over here in left field. We think about, um, we'll use TV as a reference. We'll think about um, a guy who's using cuss words on TV, and then hours later, we're still thinking about what we've seen on TV because it's already logged in our memory, the train of thought. We as Christians, we can regulate our thoughts. We can. And that's exactly what that scripture is mentioning. He says, think on what's pure. Think on what's right. Think on what's holy. Um, I wanted to use this reference earlier, and I'll just talk about it now. Um, we, we've read the book of Genesis, and I've preached it before, how, the, how Cain killed Abel, right? And, and the Lord speaks to Cain before Abel is killed, and he says, you know, Cain, you know, why, why are you so downtrodden? Why, why is your face... Um, wrong. And he says, you know, sin is crouching at your door, and it's your job to subdue it. It's your job to subdue it. Okay? And the problem with Cain was that he sat and he dwelled upon Abel. Now, why, why was Cain so mad at Abel? Because Abel had given a more, the word of God says, more excellent offering. So, yeah. Amen. So I can just see Cain sitting there just wroth, and oh, Abel, you, you gave this to the Lord, and he's pleased, and you gave your first fruits, and and that's, that's how it happens. That's the reason why the Word of God says, um, I believe it's in, in Matthew, and it's also in the book. I don't want to misquote this. Um, but the Word of God says that in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, that if we hate in our heart, what have we already committed? We've committed murder. Murder? That, that if I hate my brother, then the Lord looks at me as though I am a murderer? Absolutely. Because the, the hatred inside of Cain's heart is what led to the murder of Abel. We, we know the end of the story is blood cried out, etc. But what I'm trying to get to this morning is that our thoughts spiritually control everything we do. We got to regulate them, church. I got to regulate the way that I think about my brother. If I have bitterness in my heart towards pastor or brother Derek, and I don't subdue that bitterness, eventually that bitterness is going to come out as gossip. Because our mind controls our mouth. Right over here. Right? And then that gossip is going to turn into slander, and then everyone in the church of God is going to know just how much I feel about pastor or brother Derek, and then I'm going to be the one who's I can't think of a better way to say it, but really who's downtrodden in sin. Every major sin, I can't use the word major, every great fault 
that, that we deal with in our life starts with our minds. Our minds. Our minds. So, I'm going to try to tie this all together within the last uh, 10 minutes or so. I want to talk to you guys about uh, what our thoughts produce. And then, um, what our thoughts produce in the terms of vision, um, in the term of um, our speech, really, and uh, in the term of our actions. So I have a question for us. It's kind of rhetorical here. Do we as Christians really have power in our words? Do we? Most definitely, we do. We have a lot of power in our words. Why is there power in our words? Amen. Absolutely. Amen. That's good. Uh, Jess was quoting James 3, that, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Amen. And the reason why there's death and life in the power of the tongue is that God has breathed his life into us. The Ruach of God, that Holy Spirit of God is inside of you and I. Okay, we know about it. We quote it all the time. Genesis 2 and 7, God breathed upon Adam. He became a living soul. His breath is inside of us. What are you doing with the breath of God? Okay, because the breath of God brings life to things. It is the breath of God that raises people up. So when you exhort your brother in Christ from your thoughts that reach your tongue and you don't think that you're doing anything, no, you are. It's the breath of God that gives life. So I want to go another step here. Okay, we know that death and life are in the power of the tongue. James talks about it. He says it's full of deadly poison, right? He talks about the tongue, but I want to get you guys to think about one thing. Maybe it's not the tongue that has to be regulated. Because the tongue is simply the vessel which conveys our words. Words begin where? Think about it. In our thought processes. Before pastor gets up and preaches on a Sunday morning, he's prayed. He has meditated, he has read, and he has thought about the word of God. Before we exhort somebody in Christ, we have thought about what we're going to say. So if I can be a little crazy here and say, yes, James, I agree with you, but it's our thoughts that give death or life if our minds are not regulated. Number one, our speech, our speech our thoughts give life and death to our speech. Speech isn't about talk, or excuse me, uh, talk, uh, praise the Lord. Speech is about thought. Before words can proceed from our mouth, we have to perceive them in our mind, do we not? And of course, James 3, uh, verses 1 through 6, he talks about um, how we really have a, a talk problem that's rooted in our minds. We've got to regulate our minds, church. Before I want to go off on my friend, or, or destroy my wife, or destroy my coworkers with words, I've got to stop and think about what I'm thinking about because our words have power. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16. I'm going to read this one to you guys real quick here. Second Corinthians, and you can turn there with me if you want. Um, 
But chapter 2 in verse 16 reads here. Oh, and my apologies, that's uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm all turned up. My apologies, church. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 reads, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, okay? It says, who can know the mind of God, okay? No man can know the mind of God, that we can tell him what to do. Scripture says that. But it says that we have the mind of Christ. Church, how do we have the mind of Christ? Open your Bibles. How do we have the mind of Christ? Focus on those things that are good, right, true, and holy. That's how we have the mind of Christ. Word of God says that the Lord has a mind, Christ has a mind. So do we? Absolutely. This is the mind that we've got to start thinking on. And I don't mean to be um, rude or, or weird about it. I'm talking to myself, too. I have to learn to regulate my thoughts as a Christian. Because whatever begins up here is going to flow outside of my body. Um, and I'm going to transition that in, into, into this. Amen. Our words have created life in them. We as believers are visionary people. And before a word can come out of our mouth, we have to think it. And I read the book of Genesis, and we know that the Lord had spoken this world into existence. Amen. So how much more... Do our thoughts control the ministries that come out of us? How much more do our thoughts control the effectual, um, I don't, the, the effectiveness of the ministries that come out of us? Amen? That if I have begun a method to reach people in our church or in our city, but I don't believe that it's going to be effective, is the ministry going to be effective? Absolutely not. Because if my mind denounces 
everything that the word of God says, I'm to no effect. Our minds control what comes out of us as visionary people. And with no vision, the people perish. We go from vision to vision to vision. Pastors have to be visionary people or else the church won't survive. Fathers, mothers, we have to be visionary people. Otherwise, there's going to be no track record for the family to grow or for our children to grow. We've got to be visionary people. But the only way that we can have effective visions is to have our minds right. We've got to have our minds right. We have to have goals. We have to have plans. So, again, I'm going to try to wrap this up. I had no idea it was already 10, 28 here. But, y'all, our, our thoughts control our actions. They, they control a lot of things that we, we deal with as Christians. Um, our thoughts control our speech. And, and we, as a, we as a church, okay, not, not just like this church, but we as a church, as Christians, we've got to start getting it right. We've got to start thinking on those things that are right and pure, those things that are true and holy. Do I screw up? Yes, I do screw up in my thinking. Yes, I do get angry, but it starts in my mind. And the moment I can regulate my mind, right, and grab hold onto that anger in my mind, it doesn't have to turn into wrath. Amen. If, if temptation comes into my mind, I don't have to let it turn into adultery. It's not happening. Adultery, I subdue it, and therefore it won't grow. Amen. So, so, so this is how we as believers are charged, and I believe by Paul, when he's saying, okay, you, we've got to renew our minds. Because our minds control everything in the body, church. Absolutely everything. Um, I, I'm going to try to get this out. I'm going to use an extra couple minutes. Um, how many of us remember the story of Amnon and Tamar in, uh, in the book of Second, Second Samuel, I believe it is? And basically the story leads up to Amnon, uh, the son of David. He is so in love with his half-sister Tamar um, that he commits a sexual sin with Tamar. And she begs him not to do so. But there's something very key at the beginning of the scripture. It says that he had made himself ill. He, he was so in lust with Tamar that he had made himself physically, he made himself sick with his thoughts. You ever made yourself maybe physically sick because of depression? You've been upset for so long, man, that your mind just don't work right and your body don't work right anymore. I've been there. And my first anxiety attack about a, about a year ago, craziest thing in the world. I never want to experience, ever, it feels like you want to escape your body, but there's nowhere to run, and you're suffocating. You can't go outside, you can't go out inside. It's the worst feeling in the world. I don't wish it upon anybody. Um, but your thoughts control your body. I want to try to close up with, with this, y'all, okay? If our minds can control our bodies, um, if our brain can tell our heart to continue to beat, our lungs to continue to breathe, if it can tell our hands that something is hot or something cold, if it can tell us to wake up and when to go back to sleep, if it can tell us what to say and what not to say, then church, we really got to start using what the Lord has given us. Regulate those thoughts. Because the same way that our minds control, again, the physical body, a spiritual mind can either bring life or death into us and everything that flows out of us, everything that we create. Does that make sense? So I'm going to wrap that up here um, this week. Any comments or questions over anything that was, was mentioned here? Have at it. It's open forum.
extra scriptures. 